to Working Cultures Job Board Success Stories. I'm your host, Mona Shari. I'm also the Marketing and Communications Manager at Working Culture, a nonprofit arts service organization that supports the professional lives of artists, creatives, and cultural workers. Most people recognize Working Culture for its job board. However, we also provide the sector with various resources that support professional growth. Please visit us at workingculture.ca to learn more. On this podcast, we invite the people who work in the cultural sector to share their professional trajectory and job search success stories. All our guests have successfully secured positions within their creative or cultural field while using the Working Culture Job Board. Through their stories, we hope to give you a few ideas that will help you with your next job search or job posting. everyone. Thanks for joining us. Today we speak with Bridget Anderson. Bridget isn't merely a vocalist. She is a fierce performer with a purpose. Conscious of the seemingly default predominance of men in music, when it comes to her original project, B-A-B-E, Bridget strives to work with Canada's most sought-after female multi-instrumentalists and engineers to establish a new standard, inherent diversity and instinctive inclusion of female and LGBTQ representation. A daughter of immigrants and of South African and Scottish descent, Bridget sings in English, French, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, Latin, and Polish. She has performed in the United States, Central and South America, and Morocco, as well as all over Southern Ontario and the GTA. Bridget is a Barry native, currently working as a freelance vocalist, leading bands and doing session work, and is endorsed by Poppy Apparel. You can learn more about Bridget and her music through her website at BridgetAnderson.com. Hello, Bridget. Thank you for speaking with me today. Hey, Mona, how are you? Good, thanks. In our last podcast, we heard from Nadine Haddad, who started out as a musician and is now working as the donor relations coordinator from the Toronto Arts Foundation. She shared with us a little bit about her background and how she went from performing to fundraising for the arts. She also gave our listeners advice on how to find work in the cultural sector. I'd love to hear how you started your career in music and how you found work as a musician. Well, I was born singing. That's what my parents will tell you. And uh, I was lucky that I had parents that they didn't tell me to be quiet. They let me sing. They encouraged me to sing and let me participate in programs provided at my school. And when it came time for high school, I took it upon myself to seek um, an educational institution that would foster that as well. And luckily enough, I couldn't afford an arts high school, but the high school that was in my area had a recording studio. So I chose every elective I could 
um, you know, from the front of house to back of house. I chose theater. I chose music. I chose vocal performance in band, as well as the tech side, music and computers. So I felt that would get me as prepared as I could be to take a shot at Humber and schools like that. Uh, so I took their Bachelor of Contemporary Music program for voice. And that was a great time of performance and networking and learning about other genres and what else goes into being a performer and managing your own band and being part of someone else's band. And through that was introduced to the corporate cover scene, helped fund my college activities. Um, and that also led to working on cruise ships. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you did on cruise ships? Uh, sure. It was basically what I was doing in the city, except uh, it was much more profit because I wasn't, you know, paying such crazy Toronto rents the entire time. Um, and it also came with getting to visit these beautiful locations. It's really been a great way to see the world perform for an even wider audience uh, and, and make good money and save a lot as well. And, and also learning a lot about who my true fan base is. You know, you think you, you write a particular genre of music and you think uh, a particular demographic is really going to be your target audience, but then it turns out it's a completely different audience and that's a pleasant welcome surprise. And when you find great fans, they offer, oh, if you're ever doing a tour somewhere, please come across a pond. We'd be happy to have you. And it, it opens you up to a great community of complete strangers. What was the whole process of finding work after you came back to your hometown? What was that like? Did, was it easy for you to find work? Or I, I can imagine that it would be very different from doing cruise work and then going back home and then trying to get gigs here and there. I mean, I, I think there is a very negative stigma against cruise ship work. People have the idea you go, you take off, and everyone's going to forget you and you're not going to have work back home. And in a sense, it is a little isolating because the Wi-Fi isn't that good out there. You generally don't have a phone. But I do like it. I, I feel that it's a true test of your stamina as a performer because you are performing three, four, sometimes five sets a day in various locations, in various environments, and you, you've got to be ready to go all the time. So it keeps you in shape keeps you working, constantly learning new rep and memorizing. And if you keep yourself busy, you, you will have work back home. And that's where work and culture has always helped me. I made sure I stayed tuned in as to what was happening back home and applied to festivals and grants and whatnot so that when I'm returning, you know, in peak wedding season in the summer in Canada, I have plenty of work during festival wedding season. That way I'm missing the winter and I'm on the ships. I'm in beautiful islands and I come home and still get to work with my friends. I'm glad the Working Culture website has been helpful for you. What kinds of work have you found through the job board? Uh, a lot of the Working Culture ads, some of them have been teaching or even a residency as an artist teaching your craft or giving um, a workshop. I've seen postings about that, and I'd been tentative about that before, but 
seeing how many ads go up, I've started to try and create a little template to apply to those things, as well as auditions for, I see a lot of Lower Rosington Theater, as well as Canada's Wonderland, you know, sometimes things that are still within my wheelhouse, but would make me put myself out there that I might be a little shy to do. I've been so surprised and so glad that Work and Culture is there with all the varied work for me to take a shot at. And that's what I've always loved about it. Can you give us an example of a time where you applied for a position through our job board? And what was that process like? Did you find that it was up your alley or was it a surprise? Sure. Um, some postings, they're, they're similar to applying for a contract um, overseas on a ship or in a hotel. You, you come across it. It tells you what is required. Uh, oftentimes they'll need just a reel, a demo reel, either video or audio of a particular genre. They need to know you can do the job, hit the notes, or they want you to recite a monologue. If it's a musical theater piece, I've applied for a couple of those. Same old, same old, your resume of your experience, where you've been educated, where you've performed. And, you know, sometimes a lot of it is you don't hear back. They only respond to their selected candidates that they want to see in person for the next round of sitting out. But it's like anything else. You can't be too discouraged. You've just got to keep pushing, keep applying and keep refining your application as you go. Do you have any advice on how someone who is trying to start out as a musician, how they could find gigs or just get their name out there? Mm -hmm. For me, it's been all about making it a part of my routine. Get out of bed, do some yoga, eat some breakfast, answer emails, and then you've got to bunker down and set a chunk of time aside to scour the job boards, you know, working culture and, and other groups as well. You know, there's plenty of websites, LinkedIn and even on Facebook, because, you know, you can't just rely on word of mouth anymore. Uh, unfortunately, it's definitely best to have your qualifications in one place where anyone can see them and you can just fire off your website or your EPK or have your resume ready to go and materials in a Dropbox. The easier you make it for someone to check you out, and vet you out your skills and credentials, generally they're going to go with you. I've also found it really helpful to have templates ready for the kind of job I'm applying for, whether it's administrative or performance, just to tweak your resume or cover letter to what the job requirement is asking. The more they see that you've specified your credentials, not saying make something up that you don't do, but <laughs> the easier you make it to look like you are the perfect candidate because you have done this job, you know what it takes to do this job. Of course, they're likely to select you, you know, for the next round or another interview or another audition. So for me, I spend a couple hours each week. I'm always going through work and culture and refreshing and seeing if anything new has come up because I want to be one of the first to apply and submit my template or my resume and it generally pays off. <laughs> It's interesting you say that you want to be the first to apply because our last interviewee, one of the advice she gave was that you should always apply as soon as you find the position and not hold off until close to the deadline date. Absolutely. So you find that it's helped for you as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I I definitely open a whole new window in my browser and then a bunch of tabs <laughs> for each of the jobs I find interesting and that I might like to put myself out there for. And, you know, I put them in chronological chronological order um, as to when the deadlines are coming up. Sometimes I miss them, you know, you're working on other things, but uh, I keep it open and continue to work on that application so that I have a template for the next time something like that comes up. So then I can just tweak the details, change the name of who I'm addressing it to, and then it's ready to go. I'm just curious, do you have other side jobs that you do to support yourself while you are trying to become more established as a musician? Oh, yeah. Yeah. As a musician and an independent musician, you're your own CEO, CFO, PR, manager, everything, and uh, you have to diversify. I play in multiple bands. Whenever I see postings, someone needs a sub. I submit myself for that. And it's all about being prepared. If you're prepared to submit yourself and prepared with the work and you can show up, show out, they're going to call you again because you did the job, you knew the material, you were no hassle, they can rely on you. So the bigger impression you make the first time, even if you think it's going to be a one-off, it most likely won't be because they'll call you again if they need you or they'll tell someone else to call you. And also, again, with like having a cover letter ready that's specific to the job, I've found that really helpful. I'm actually to get my audition at Wonderland with the job I just got now through work and culture. That really, really helped. That's great. Just to clarify, you've found work as a musician through the work and culture job board site, but you've also found other kinds of work that were outside of the box through the site as well? Or is it just gigs that you found through the job board? More so the other jobs that a musician wouldn't think to apply for, but certainly has the skills for, I've found through work and culture. Luckily that I've, specifically as a musician, I've found the job at Wonderland through work and culture. I guess that's more on the musician side. And then other ones that I've applied for have been for administrative work within the arts fields, like at a um, music school and also like within the fundraising line, like your other podcast guest. Could you give us your top three tips that you would give to job seekers who are searching or who are trying to find work as musicians? I would say search, refresh, and refine. Make sure you're part of as many job groups as you can find. Like I said, make it a routine to set time aside to look through. And if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. That's not a new saying because it's true. The more you invest in yourself and having your package of yourself to present, whether it be your website, your electronic press kit, your resume, cover letter, for any type of job that might come your way that you maybe don't think even it might not be for you, but the person who sees that sees that it is. As a musician, you have to stay ready and be ready for anything. And I think that helps 
and maybe even gives us a bit of an advantage on the business side when applying for less stage and more office-based jobs is to just constantly keep yourself ready for whatever opportunity comes up because you never know when you might see something pop up or someone recommends you for something and uh, someone asks specifically for you. What about for employers, people who are hiring musicians, what kind of advice do you have for them? Uh, I mean, I've, I've never been a bar club owner. Maybe someday I will be, but I've been on a lot of bills in a bar or club and it feels like a stick out like a sore thumb because it's multiple acts in one night as if, uh, the club owner or booker didn't listen to my material to hear that I probably wasn't a good fit. So I guess <laughs> I would suggest that it employers of musicians specifically look for those things that they look professional. They have some video, some audio, so you can vet them out. So you can at least know what they're going to sound like. And if that genre is going to gel with what you're looking to provide your clients or on a bill with multiple artists, if you're, if you're looking for a little bit of this, a little bit of that, yeah, maybe you don't have to listen to them, but I think you, you still should want to know the quality of who you're hiring and what their wheelhouse is. So I gotta say, there's nothing more frustrating when you play a room and you're on a bill with an audience that does not listen to your genre at all. It's, it's a little disheartening and it didn't need to be if that person in charge just took the time to listen to the first 30 seconds of a song you had to know what they're getting themselves into. Do you have some kind of insight to provide someone like me what, what it's like for musicians out there and what the community is like? Mm -hmm. For me, trying to get out into the cover scene, the original scene, just that anyone would listen to me at all and let alone pay for me to do my job and my skill and craft. Definitely hitting open mics, I thought it was, and I still think it is a good way to go about it and get your foot in the door and make a first impression on that bar owner on that crowd or whoever else, you know, you never know who's in the audience. Because at least that way, if the owner happens to be in the house and they hear you and they really like you right there on the spot, if they say, oh, we're looking for someone for this date, you can negotiate and say, oh, great, you know, I can come and play solo or with a small ensemble or a full band and here's my card, here are our rates, you can let me know. Um, because I, I think the biggest thing is when people aren't prepared and they just want to get out there and have anybody listen to them and pay them, they don't ask for what they're worth uh, because they're just happy that someone's hiring them to play music. And that really does affect us all in the end because the more people undercut and undervalue themselves, the more that bar owner is going to try and pull it on the next person and, you know, just to get somebody in there for cheaper. And uh, that really hurts us all. That's very important to share because I've also heard that for any artist, like for visual artists also, you know, if you're putting your work out there, you should really take into consideration of your peers, your colleagues and the, the standards and what you want the marketplace to look like. 
Yeah. And it always helps if you're not sure you can ask someone that, you know, or there, you know, there are also AFM, CFM, the American and Canadian Federation of Musicians uh, and TFA, the Toronto Federation of Musicians, TFM, TFA, sorry, (laughs) lose track of what acronyms mean what, but they provide a scale or a chart of rates to give you a ballpark of what you should be charging for a particular performance or event. And I mean, that doesn't mean you should charge it because, you know, obviously if you're a newbie and you're still just trying to pay your dues out there and hack it till you can get into a little more reputable establishment or get to where you want to be, you you, you can't charge what Beyonce would charge out the gate. You've got to <laughs> work your way up there. But those scales definitely help you price yourself out. And, you know, you've also got to use a little common sense. Are you bringing your own equipment? Is it already there? So you don't have to charge them for that and include your travel time. Ask if a meal is going to be provided, if not, and just take a little initiative. I'm glad you talked about the community and what it's like and how difficult it is. Does it get any easier the more gigs you do? For me, yes. I, I mean, and I think that's definitely part and parcel to wanting to prove that stigma wrong. Like, oh, you go to a cruise ship, you're not going to have any work when you come home. Mm, I, I always, I always do. And even when I think I don't, I end, something ends up falling in my lap. But that's also because I stay on top of things to apply to them. Or even if I just mentioned to a friend, hey, I'll be home from here to here. Somehow someone still hits me up. Oh, could you sub in? So word of mouth will help you out and can help you out maybe in the short term. But in the long run, the more you're prepared, I can't say that enough. Stay ready. You don't got to get ready. And I mean, shout out to my uncle Paul for this quote that creative people are brilliant artists, but they're terrible businessmen. <laughs> so the more you have, I guess, your your core infrastructure, like your website, your resume, templates for applications, your business card, because the more you take yourself seriously as a, as a business, as an independent contractor, the more serious potential clients are going to treat you as well. Have invoices, use those free apps that are out there to help you look more professional. If you can't afford to pay for your own website, use Squarespace or Wix or anything. Also, I just started using Wave apps. It's been great. I'm shouting out all these corporate names. I wish I was being endorsed, but maybe that'll come later. Uh, (laughs) But those things have also helped as well. Sending invoices, sending estimates that look professional, having a logo or a header to make everything look streamlined and also keeping track of your expenses and your receipts, keeping it in order, doing your taxes right, writing off whatever you can. Because as artists, musicians, we can surprisingly write off a lot because every day of our life and purchase and whatnot is towards a performance, which is work. So I think that's also one of the best things I learned taking the artist entrepreneurial program at CMI is that (laughs) the quote was, your life is a write-off that any mode of transportation you take, if you're purchasing clothes or getting your hair and nails did or equipment, whatever it is, as long as it's going towards your work, creating your art, it can be written off. So, you know, that at the end of the day, you can keep a little more of that income, those honorariums that we make. So aside from trying to find work, you have 
really done well with keeping up and building your skills. So how did you build your business sense? Yeah, my business sense was not there. And I I don't think it's all the way there. But I, I think when I was out on a gig, people hearing me perform like, oh, well, like, where can I hear it? Where can I see you? And it's like, oh, okay, like other people's Instagram videos of me just aren't going to cut it anymore. So I'm not a very technical person. I admit that I hate Twitter and Instagram. Like I'm not a content person. I, I just want to make my music and not have to also make a hundred posts a day. I definitely have friends that are way better at that than myself, but other people harping me to put my stuff out there so people can hear me or even just so they can listen at home definitely got me to buck up and just pay for the domain, built the website. And I mean, once you do that and you, when you can't afford something, you got to learn to do it yourself. And that makes you feel more confident and more proud of this little internet baby that you created that people can check out and (laughs) admire. (laughs) So that makes you want to be more proficient in, in the other areas. Because the more you can do yourself, the more money you're saving from having to pay someone else to do it. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Thanks so much, Bridget, for speaking with us today. And just to end off, could you let us know where you're going to be next, where you're playing, what's coming up for you? Well, coming up, you can catch me in the uh, Winterfest production at Canada's Wonderland. (laughs) That'll be running uh, the end of November through December. And that was all thanks to work and culture. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Bridget. And thanks everyone for joining today. Please stay tuned for our next podcast.